Once you get to some sort of scale in terms of the number of customers you have, they will tell you what the problems are and they will continue to educate you about what problems are important. All you have to be good at is listening. Spend a lot of time talking to your customers, listening to what their pain points are, what are they willing to pay to solve. And if you do that really well, uh, your roadmap writes itself. Even today, our, our planning process, 95% of it is almost exclusively just coming straight from what our customers are telling us. We are not ever sitting there and saying, what should we work on next? Like, what is the problem we should solve? I'm Sejo Kote, and I'm the founder and CEO of Airbase. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Fejo Kote built the number one spend management solution, helping finance teams build great companies. All this and more on Code Story. Fejo Kote grew up in southern India. He came from an academic, intellectual family. Both of his grandfathers were authors, and in the house, they had built up a large library. But not just a few books here and there. Thejo grew up with 3,500 books in his house. These were a combination of everything, but with a lot of reference and historical books. And if he's honest, Thejo didn't appreciate it really until he got older. However, no one appreciated it when it was time to move. He was influenced a lot by what he was reading and watching, which he noted allowed him to learn from the experiences of others. Ultimately, his path took him down the road of tech and entrepreneurship. He's always been fascinated with how impactful tech can be to the world. You sit at home, write some code, and make an impact. Prior to his current venture, he co-founded Automatic, connecting cars to the internet. This eventually sold to Sirius XM for several million dollars. Looking into another problem, he saw that the way people spend money lacked true visibility and connectivity between systems. He asked some questions, got some feedback, and set out to capitalize on the opportunity to build a better solution. This is the creation story of Airbase. Airbase is uh, what I think of as a spend management platform, and the core problem we solve is, think about any business, you know, one thing you have, all of them have in common is that, hey, they spend money, right? And uh, what kind of money do they spend? You, know, you can put it in two big buckets. Payroll is all the salaries that you pay employees and then everything else. If you think about how you know, financial operations happen in a business, uh, you know, managing payroll is relatively easy, right? There are payroll systems. You set them up and, and, and uh, you keep it updated and, and it works. But... The, all of the other dollars, which could be marketing spend and, and uh, software subscriptions and travel and food and like the hundred other things that companies tend to spend money on, the process of managing that is, is very messy, especially for small mid-market businesses, which you know, are, are most of the businesses out there, right? Like there are you know, not that many businesses that have more than a few thousand employees out there, which means that the majority of businesses out there really struggle with how those non-payroll dollars are spent, primarily because it happens in many different silos. Every business has a corporate card system, they're receiving invoices, so so they have some kind of a bill payment system for that process, or they're doing it from the bank account directly in terms of wiring money out to vendors. Uh, Employees are 
spending their own money and trying to reimburse it and there are systems like you know expensive fine things like that dedicated to that task and on and on and on right so you end up with four five six different systems involved in the process of managing all the workflows and payments that have to happen uh, it's just a pain for every single persona in the company especially for the finance and accounting people in dealing with so many systems but even if you're an employee right like if you're requesting spend if you're approving spend just having so many systems so many workflows you know it's just a big pain and and i i faced that challenge when i was building my first company uh, automatic and it was a very different business it was a connected car platform uh, and and had nothing to do with kind of spend management but it was a problem i learned about during the process of building you know that company and uh, long story short you know i i after after i uh, went through that journey and we sold the business to sirius xm um, you know satellite radio company i was thinking about what i was going to do next and this was the problem i kept coming back to because i thought it was fundamentally broken just the way in which companies spend and manage money the 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 you know lack of real time visibility into how money is being spent by all the budget owners the just the you know the nature of how decisions are made to spend money where most people are just winging it and and how information does not flow in real time to help people make good decisions all of that is just um you know was frustrating to me and and it seemed like a big enough problem and i started digging into why you know is the status quo the way way it is why why so many systems and why did the ecosystem you know develop the way it did and uh, again you know after doing a lot of research speaking to um, you know dozens of cfos and controllers and accounting managers uh, i became convinced that look there's a big opportunity here there's a you can go create a much better solution which essentially for us is to bring all of those elements together into a single platform right so every single non payroll dollar workflow all workflows and payments how can you have it in one place right how can you have a corporate card system bill payment system expense reimbursement system and all the related request approval workflows accounting automation and and all of that bring it all together and it's a it's a tall order uh, and and but i think that's the future and uh, there was a reason why you couldn't solve it that way Uh, even about five years ago, and that's a longer conversation. Uh, but that's what we're doing, and and I'm confident that that is going to be the default expectation of the market, um, you know, over the coming years. And I don't think I'd be able to get up in the morning if I didn't believe that after seeing what that experience can be when you have everything working out of one seamless system end to end. Would anybody go back and say no? I prefer three, four, five different systems. I just don't think that's going to happen, and and that's what. kind of uh, keeps me going and and convinces me that hey there's a really big opportunity ahead of us let's jump into the mvp then so tell me about the first product you built how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life i've done it the wrong way and i'd like to think i did it the right way with uh, airbase and the wrong way in the trap that a lot of engineers fall into and as an engineer the trap i've fallen into in the past is that you think of a problem and then uh, you know you jump in and start writing code to build the solution to that problem right which uh, you know in my experience is almost always a mistake uh, you know because it is so much more expensive to correct mistakes uh, once you've committed it to code you know it, it takes a lot more time a lot more money and uh, and also there is the psychological aspect of uh, not changing or giving up on the thing that you have built uh which is also expensive in its own way right so with airbase what i ended up doing was i didn't write a single line of code uh for the first say 6 to 8 months of me you know uh, 
working on the project uh, initially i had a hypothesis obviously about what the problem was and how i could potentially solve it and uh, as i said earlier I, i spent a good six months talking to dozens of cfos controllers account managers the people who live this problem every single day uh, of course learned a lot about the problem um, during that process you know even more than i kind of already knew myself through my exposure to it we just became a lot more smarter about it and built uh, you know the uh, opinions and hypothesis about what the solution should be in a much more granular way right and after that what i essentially did was again no code i i went back and uh, i sat down and i sketched the solution to that problem like yeah first deeply understand the problem then i just sat down how would i solve this what are, what would the tool be to solve this what would the workflows look like what would the ui be and i kind of sketched that out and i worked with a, a designer to create high fidelity mockups of what those workflows would look like i went back to a bunch of the people i'd been speaking with just to show them look we, we talked about the problem we we you know you agree that there's a big problem here and and here's how i think it can be solved right so let me walk you through uh, the workflow and and i did that with a bunch of people and essentially you know got them to uh, uh, agree that yeah like this will solve the problem and um, and then the conversation was simply great if i go build this will you buy it and and i essentially pre-sold uh, the uh, product to about a dozen kind of cfos and controllers and and uh, there was nothing at that point by the way and and, and because there was a high fidelity uh, mock up maybe cfos and controllers don't understand the difference between a mock up and a finished product it seemed to them like hey this must be pretty close it's almost done right and uh, you can you can kind of uh, deliver it pretty quickly and they were like yeah this is great if you just can you know deliver this exact thing and it works the way you're showing it to me then i will definitely you know use it and then i'm like okay great i'll come back to you in a bit and that's when i went away and started um, you know building the solution and and yeah obviously i started building the product on my own started hiring engineers around me and and um, in about 6 7 months we launched the first aspect of of the overall larger platform that we have been working on for the last 4 years and that was the corporate card spend management aspect of it so we've never called ourselves a corporate card there are like lots of startups today which are just corporate card startups right and partly because strategically i've always i've always believed that uh, that's kind of a race to the bottom business and there isn't really much differentiation if all you're trying to do is provide cash back and rewards and and things like that and trying to differentiate based on that we've always been very focused on being a workflow uh, driven company and our long term strategy is not to participate in the corporate card wars but it is a very real problem that you know management of spend that happens on corporate cards in small mid market businesses is challenging uh, but our, our thesis there is that with the corporate card of the future it's a software workflow product it's not really a piece of plastic that you put in an envelope and send to employees that i think is just going to go away uh, the corporate card is morphing into a software workflow product and we wanted to bring that to the market like how do you put pre approval workflows before money is spent how do you have the right controls through virtual cards how do you automate away accounting as transactions are happening that's all a software workflow product so that's the first product we built and and took to customers and and uh, you know because all of that work had happened already in terms of validating the pain um, you know the customers lapped it up they started using it and and uh, uh, that's how it started of course we have since built out the rest of the platform and we continue to do that but but that was the kind of the initial say uh, 8 to 12 months
when you went to those those customers and said, "Would you buy this?" Did you go? Did was it a formal process? Were you doing LOIs or anything like that, or was it just, "Hey, I just need to validate that people are actually going to verbally tell me I'm going to purchase your product." Yeah, look, it's a handshake agreement, right? And part of my early selling process was just in my network, and because our focus is almost uh, always been on, on the mid market and and uh, upper mid market early enterprise think of it as initially the focus really was in that 100 to 1000 uh, employee companies because that's where the pain is typically right because smaller companies they're not spending that much money and and so these control visibility challenges aren't you know that really that much of a challenge because they're not spending a lot of money they don't have a lot of transactions uh, so we we were really focused on the segment where the pain was was a lot more acute and and so you know I used my network to just found a friends and got intros to their heads of finance and things like that and so this was all kind of uh within my network of people that uh you know I had I knew fairly well and and so I didn't feel the need to say sign a contract right now it was more of a you know gentleman's agreement that hey you know we've, we've had conversations about this and if I actually go deliver on a solution to the pain uh then you're going to give it a good shot you know it was not even uh you know you are committing to using it and then paying me later because there are lots of question marks uh and 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 a gulf between a promise and an execution right and and so yeah, there was no need to put them in that situation i was confident that we'd execute and deliver on the product but uh it was more of a hey gentleman's agreement that if i deliver on mind of the bargain here of delivering the solution that you'll give it a good shot and use it and give me feedback and and that was where it started when you're building in any mvp right you got to make certain decisions and trade offs about you know around feature cut or even we'll call it feature focus right or technical debt tell me about some of those decisions and trade offs you had to make when you were building your mvp and how you coped with them in the early days say the first 18 months uh i was pretty strict about defining the milestones that uh i really cared about for the business right and uh, i didn't take the seed round of funding i just funded the business uh myself because i also knew that if you had de-risked the business the right way right and hit those initial milestones the kind of value of the business would go up um you know much more because at the end of the day you know how do you increase the value of the business you continuously de-risk all the risks in front of it right and so uh you know those first 18 months were about me figuring out the important milestones to answer those questions of um you know related to de-risking the business and those milestones were things like hey do we deeply understand what segment we should be going after where is the pain most acute because you know you could go after five employee companies you could go after 50 employee companies you could go after 500 employee companies or 5000 employee companies but there are very few companies in in the kind of the history of technology that have been very successful serving every segment of the market right and so almost always you have to have uh, focus on a particular segment because the nature of the problem is different in different segments and and everything else about the company and how you scale it you know how do you uh, acquire customers how do you you know what are your demand generation uh, strategies and how do you build up your marketing team how do you build up your sales motion and and how do you even build product and support it how do you do customer success like every element especially in the b2b business uh it's 
different if you're trying to go after a hundred thousand customers think about the classic again okay, to get to a hundred million dollars of revenue how do you do it uh, you could have a hundred thousand customers paying you a thousand dollars a year thousand customers paying you a hundred thousand dollars a year hundred customers paying you a million dollars a year they're all valid ways to get there but they are very different businesses you know uh, internally in, in all of these different functional areas uh, in the business and so you have to form that opinion otherwise you know, you're going to start investing in sales and marketing without really knowing you know what segment am i going after like what is the most optimal way for me to go spend that money in sales and marketing to acquire the kinds of customers where i know i can scale to a meaningful level so as a business if you haven't formed that opinion on who is my customer uh, you know you're going to just end up wasting a lot of time and money uh, just trying to go get those customers so one important milestone was what's the second like what is the ideal size of that customer who is the buyer right and who is the person that i should be selling to speaking with where the probability of them actually buying is going to be quite high and yes i also had a hypothesis about what the pain point was and what the solution is i'd validated it but you know are people actually going to use it right when you put a product in people's hands how they behave can be very different than what they've been saying to you right and so uh, getting evidence around that and another milestone was to show that this wasn't just a product that finance and accounting people would appreciate and find value in uh, because the entire business spends money right a lot of other employees in the company are going to be uh, in a system like this you know placing requests and doing approvals and all that kind of stuff and so what are their thoughts going to be what's kind of the high level nps if you will uh, from the rest of the employee base be are the finance and teams accounting teams going to like this but the rest of the company is going to hate it that's not a good place to be in and so that was another milestone and you know, another one was uh, how much can i actually charge for this like doing that experimentation and and building data and evidence around that is this software that you can never charge say more than 100 bucks a month or something like that or is a software we can actually charge tens of thousands of dollars or over time hundreds of thousands of dollars because that's that kind of strategic value to the business determining that again is very important because that will ultimately uh, have a lot of influence on how you build your go to market uh, operation right and and so focus the focus was on you know hitting these milestones and answering these questions and being kind of methodical in checking those boxes uh and uh getting to what you could think of as early product market fit right and and uh, so that's kind of what uh the early days were all about let's let's go to the next step then so early product market fit you've got it now how did you progress the product from there and how did you mature it and and I think to frame that question a little bit I'm interested in how you built your roadmap and you know how you decided okay this is the next most important thing to build Here's a fun thing about B2B businesses right you know my previous company uh, you know there was a consumer uh, aspect to it there was a enterprise aspect to it and um you know consumer businesses are hard and the good thing about B2B businesses is um you know once you get to some sort of scale in terms of the number of customers you have they will tell you what the problems are and they will continue to uh, educate you about what problems are important uh, to be solved you know, all you have to be good at is listening right and uh for the most part the roadmap writes itself just spend a lot of time talking to your customers listening to what their pain points are what are they willing to pay to solve and if you do that really well uh your roadmap writes itself right and you know even today our, our planning process uh any given month any given quarter 
95% of it is almost exclusively just coming straight from what our customers are telling us, right? And we have a large enough customer base now that uh, we are not ever sitting there and, you know, wringing our hands saying, what should we work on next? Like, what is the problem we should solve? When, you know, this is a fertile enough area of, you know, when you think about the larger area of how companies spend money, spend management, lots of complications, lots of workflows, lots of adjacent problems to that core problem of how money gets spent in the business that customers just lead us, right? And so that's uh, how we do it. We just listen hard and, and uh, you know, ultimately it's a prioritization exercise in any given quarter. Obviously there are always constraints, no matter how much engineering capacity you have, design capacity you have, product management capacity you have, uh, customer demand will, you know, be far greater than that, right? And so now then it becomes an exercise when you're planning uh, to say, what are the most popular requests here? And what can we fit in given the capacity we have? Uh, and then uh, we go build that, right? And so that's kind of uh, how we do it. Well, let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I'm doing that in a very different way with uh, Airbase. Like I said, you know, this is my second uh, business with my previous company. Uh, we were completely based out of San Francisco. We had an office there and we grew, you know, the company grew there. We had you know, multiple offices over time and and uh, uh, everybody was there, like physically located in one office. And, uh, you know, I'm never doing that again, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's incredibly challenging in a variety of ways. Uh, partly because, look, when you're trying to, in a place like San Francisco, uh, it's incredibly competitive. I remember when I was building my previous company, Uber and Lyft were, uh, and then a few other companies like that were also scaling really rapidly, raising their billions of dollars. And, and obviously they were trying to suck up all of the good talent in the market. So, you know, the all important, if you're a technology company, it's all about the people, right? It's all about the you know, team and, and the people you can attract and, and the product you can build and sell. And so, you know, that just is a challenge when you're trying to do it in an incredibly competitive environment like uh, San Francisco. And uh, your talent strategy is uh, something that is, is you don't control that uh, completely, right? And it's also very expensive. You are paying the price for a lot of, you know, policy, uh, problems in, in kind of the general geographic area. Cost of living is very high and you know, housing, affordable housing is not available, which makes everything more expensive, all those kinds of stuff, right? Which as a, as a company, you don't have any control over, but you're paying the price for it. And uh, which means you're raising more money, getting profitability is harder, uh, and, and uh, you're taking more dilution on and on and on, right? So all of these things kind of stack up. And obviously I wasn't smart enough to realize some of the second order, third order effects of what a choice like that in the very early days of the business, you know, how, how can it influence the outcome and your ability to execute and scale as you go? And and obviously when I started Airbase, you know, I had learned those lessons and you know, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm definitely not building a team uh, that's completely uh, based out of San Francisco, the Bay Area, and, and uh, we are a fully distributed team. And so one of the core decisions I made early on was to say, we'll hire people anywhere in the world, right? And so. Uh, obviously, we were not pioneers in that. There were a bunch of other companies who had been doing that, and you know, GitLab and Envision, and you know, the WordPress uh, parent company, uh, you know, had been doing that. Uh, Zapier, a bunch of them had been, and and uh, 
know my attitude was just to say look if they have can do it we can probably figure it out and do it too uh, but the sheer advantage of access to talent right and and there are smart people everywhere in the world right and and it's not like just in in silicon valley or or you know in this area that you can find good engineers uh, you know you can find them everywhere and and so i started kind of hiring uh, and for me naturally india was was a location that i was comfortable with i grew up there and and so i started uh, you know bringing on engineers uh, over there uh, obviously but you know I, i we never lowered the bar it doesn't mean that just because you don't hire over here uh, you know you have to lower the bar or something like that and um, you know there are equally good engineers everywhere and uh if it's an engineer that i'm not going to hire here uh in in the bay area i'm not going to hire them anywhere it doesn't matter where you are in the world and so, but that was the principle right and uh you know that's that's how i went about doing it and and uh, it's been great you know we uh almost like added a grew the engineering team by a third last quarter we're going to kind of do it again you know this quarter and the just we're hiring at a very rapid pace and something we just could not have done if we had a team that is completely based out here and you know we have engineers in in chile and romania and in engineering manager in singapore and the bulk of the team is still you know based out of india but uh, all over india like I, i don't know 15 20 cities at this point in india maybe more uh, and so we have made that remote model work for us which has allowed us to scale and it's it's now a competitive advantage for us right in that uh, we can literally put you know 3 4 5 times the engineering product capacity behind the problem that we're solving which in a domain that we are in b2b saas kind of software workflow driven software uh, that's a massive competitive advantage where it's all about how many workflows can you build the configurability and the knobs that you have to add support for as you you know serve the needs of various types of businesses so you know talent strategy can uh, have a big influence on product strategy and company strategy as a whole and and i at least wasn't sophisticated enough when i was building my first company to make that connection and to understand the outcome of some of those choices and and i'd like to think we have done a better job of that uh, with airbase right my next question touches on scalability so i understand how you approach scalability from a team standpoint and how you've achieved that tell me about scalability from the product did you build it originally in the mvp stage to scale efficiently or are you kind of fighting this were you fighting this as you grew there is a tendency to over engineer and and uh, you know there is a tendency to cut corners and and uh, uh, take on too much tech debt and that's those are kind of the two ends of that spectrum right obviously what you're trying to do is find that right balance and and experience is what allows you to find that right balance right so we are asking yourself uh, look i don't want to spend a huge amount of time over engineering this to the point where i'm you know building something uh, to support millions and millions of users or whatever it is because hey i haven't earned the right to do that yet we haven't we haven't even shown that we have product market fit and so in the early days what you're trying to do is to build a product that answers the core questions and hit the milestones that you've defined for yourself and Of course you're trying to do that in a way where there is extensibility where you're making technology choices you are making choices where okay uh if if the user base does increase 10x from where I am today over the next uh 12 months can I still support that and it's it's a constant kind of uh process of improvement you're never going to plan for I'm going to build something today that has to work without a single extra line of code change uh for 1000x the scale or capacity that I 
you know uh, i'm at today like yeah that's just not a good use of time energy resources money uh, there is always this balance between time to market and and doing it in a way we are not signing up for a lot of tech debt where you have to go rewrite everything from scratch and build it all over again and so it's that balance between saying uh, how do i make sure i'm good for the next 12 months 18 months at least uh, and and i've given myself a path to scale and serve uh, the needs of the customers and then along the way if you earn the right for that next 10x after that great you might have to kind of tweak that you know break it out into uh, separate services or whatever architectural changes uh, that you need to make but every big decision like that i think you have to earn the right to do that over time uh, because uh, that is not the problem you're trying to solve you know being able to technically scale the product there are very few types of companies where that is the heart of the business right so if you're a b2b saas workflow driven company for example uh, there are other existential risks that you have to de-risk before you really worry about scalability of the technology right so you have to worry about do i understand the problem deeply enough do i have an angle into the market that that uh, is is sound uh, do i have an efficient way of acquiring customers and those are all like more important questions than hey can i suddenly support 10x more customers the chances are especially in a in a business like us that's not the big challenge right so we can you know we can do that uh, but yeah but that might not apply if you're a uh, fundamentally the offering itself is about ingesting huge amounts of data and and things like that yeah then you know your ability to even deliver the core value of the product is tied into the architectural choices you make and things like that in that case i would think about it a little bit uh, more but so it's really that that trade off that uh, matters for the type of business you're building well as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built what are you most proud of Airbase has been a super interesting journey for a lot of different reasons right and um from a personal challenge perspective psychological perspective like the goals that I had for myself with automatic and the goals I have for myself with Airbase are they quite different right and and I was uh yeah, I'm literally living my dream and I you know went back 10 15 years and said I'd be doing what I'm doing today uh I would probably not believe you I'd obviously taken it and and so the outcome has been uh, incredible and but as a first time founder the journey and the focus uh, was different than what it is now and i've was fortunate to have an exit and it was life changing in all the right ways and all that but so i i get to focus now on uh, maybe things that are higher up in the maslow's hierarchy if uh, i started my previous company as a broke grad student with absolutely nothing and so the pressure to actually make it work and succeed and all of that was was a lot higher right and but with airbase uh obviously you know i'm i'm competitive and and uh, you know uh, we want to win and we think there's a big opportunity and you know, that's what drives a lot of what we do but uh, i'm a lot better at uh, enjoying what i think uh are even more important things to me at this stage of my career in life and all of that which is even more than money even more than like the, just the absolute dollars and success and revenue and things like that is just uh, the joy of building something awesome with uh, a really smart group of motivated people taking you know a blank canvas and creating uh, you know something of value which a lot of people acknowledge and use every day and the kind of impact it has on their businesses and the contribution you can make to that 
those are, are kind of the more fun parts uh, for me right and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning and you know an extra a little bit of a amount of money in the bank uh, that's not a sufficient motivator right so it is the uh, you know it's the human connections and the value and all of that which uh, you know drives me well let's flip the script a little bit tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it no this could be a multi hour conversation <laughs> uh, obviously you know lots of mistakes uh, in my journey as a founder right and you just think about building companies lessons learned mistakes made i'd like to think with airbase i've made a you know, far fewer mistakes i i made so many more mistakes in my uh, you know previous uh, company as i was building it but, but the big one that uh, that i look back to which you know, i think about pretty much every day as i'm building airbase is this notion of controlling our own destiny right so you know, we have like uh, a pretty Uh, rigorous company values defined at airbase and it's one of the other lessons about how you scale culture and how you kind of uh, make sure that you don't lose your values as you scale and, and that's a whole other uh, discussion but but value number 1 uh, in terms of our company values at airbase is control our own destiny right and uh, that's the mistake i made with uh, my previous company is i wasn't smart enough to you know control uh, my own destiny or the company's destiny uh, along that journey we were a venture funded company and all that we raised multiple rounds of funding ultimately it all turned out well but that journey was you know probably a lot harder than it uh, had to be and if i was a uh, more experienced uh, founder i would have probably done a better job uh, around controlling our own destiny and and what i mean by that is you know every single round of funding that we raised for example like i was never in a position where i didn't need the money you know i desperately needed the money every single round of funding uh, that we raised it because we were not profitable and we were you know losing money uh, uh, as a business and uh, you know the the pace at which the revenue was coming in was obviously not growing uh, at a rate to outstrip the costs of running the business and the team that we had to support and all that kind of stuff and that's not a good place to be in right and and for all kinds of reasons and then you know all the way from who do you take money from what terms do you take money uh, on and and uh, so on and so forth and uh, that's a big mistake right and 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 that led to uh, other forms of pain down the line which is uh, we had to uh, uh, do layoffs along the way and let people go and get kind of that control back and and increase runway and that kind of stuff and uh, ultimately as ceo Yeah, you know, that's that's on me. And when when you have to do those kinds of things, uh, you know, I have to take responsibility. And in terms of uh, the team, some people got it; they understood that you know that's part of the journey and the up and down journey. Others didn't kind of handle it uh, as well, and and that's part of the journey too. And you know, I I take away my lessons from you know, that up and down uh, journey. And uh, obviously, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like those are. probably more valuable than even the most valuable mba out there right so you get to learn uh, about the important choices you have to make as you're building a business but that's maybe one i'll point out um, you know when you talk about mistakes and and how i do it so it's not maybe as specific but i think it's, it's still the most important thing that any uh, founder should really think about is like how am i controlling my own destiny how am i not putting the future of my business into somebody else's hands or under the assumption that somebody will come give me the money and keep funding it and especially in venture funded companies uh, that's a very common mistake uh, founders make markets can turn you know businesses can turn competition can can you know 
come after you in a really aggressive way all those things you, you don't really control and protect or can't protect and so being thoughtful about controlling your own destiny i think is is uh, super important and uh, you know i've learned that lesson what does the future look like for airbase the product and for your team we've picked a big goal for ourselves right so we've basically we've said every non payroll dollar that a company spends uh you know, we wanted to go through one platform one set of workflows and of course you know in the grand scheme of things that might seem like you know slightly boring as a problem i still think it's uh you know fantastic in that we can help businesses be more uh effective we can give like millions of people who work in the finance and accounting professional so much of their time back which is spent doing low value work and we can help them you know again move up that curve of value of doing strategic work and all of that so we, you know i find it super exciting and and we continue to go down that path uh but it is a big problem right and there are many adjacent opportunities the core thing that we obviously uh, end up in of uh, uh you know focusing on and the place we have in any businesses uh being in the middle of those workflows of how the business spends money right so that's a very strategic place to be in and um, you know we are right in the middle of that and uh so that's exciting but off of that core strategic workflow of how do you spend money as a business hangs off lots of other adjacent problems and opportunities uh that makes it a very big opportunity for us and that's also one of the kind of considerations i was talking earlier about how i evaluated um you know this opportunity over multiple months one of the things i wanted to convince myself was uh is this a huge market and a big opportunity with the kind of uh runway to go build something big that was an important consideration for me uh you know automatic my previous company it was you know great for a first company but for me personally i felt like you know my ambitions were bigger than what we ended up doing there so i wanted to pick an opportunity that was uh you know uh, a lot bigger in the bigger market and things like that and uh it versus that so there is a lot uh, for us to do uh, from that perspective and a lot of runway to go build a you know very valuable business that's what keeps it exciting and uh from a team perspective too and you know a rising tide lifts all boats at the end of the day and lots of growth opportunities uh for people on the team and you know there have been lots of people who've been along this journey over multiple years and it's awesome to see them you know grow along with the company and uh you know take on more and more responsibility and we continue to hire uh rapidly and and add to the team and and uh, that won't stop for uh, you know quite a long time. Well, let's switch to you, Thejo. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why. I'm definitely a student of technology history and I love reading biographies and uh, I love reading uh, you know the founding stories of companies and there are always lessons there. I I you know I'm a big believer in learning from the mistakes of other people so that I hopefully don't repeat them myself and and so that's always been the case and um you know and it's not just about this technology history and the technology industry that's always interesting because well I you know uh, live in that world uh, every day but it's also just leadership in general and and uh you know for example my wife uh thinks I'm a little weird because I'm kind of fascinated by uh you know the world wars and and The, all of the deep history associated with that and i i maintain that you know like all of the life lessons that you need to know like if you understand 
uh, you know the motivations of the war and the choices that people had to make and every dimension of of human behavior you know be it good or bad and you know uh, uh, bravery or cowardice or or evil or good and and difficult choices and leadership and uh, you find so many lessons in all of those dimensions you know when you when you uh, you know start study history right because uh, a lot of the problems that we face every single day these are not new problems like you know humanity has been facing these problems and and smart people have been making choices uh, for uh, millennia and and so that's always uh, been interesting to me even outside of technology right and and uh, so but you know closer to home like the the person that i've always uh, looked up to it isn't some you know person that i've never met or, or known it it's actually my grandfather and and uh, he's always not that he was a perfect human being i guess nobody is and as i've gotten older that's another thing i've come to realize is uh, there is no perfection right and so it's all you know shades uh, at the end of the day you're good at some things you're not good at other things and um, you know life at the end of the day is just a journey towards trying to become better at the areas that you're not and trying to learn from everybody there's always something to learn from everybody right there is no absolutes in terms of uh, you know good and evil or good or bad and and uh, you know my grandfather was uh, there was a lot that i that i still uh, took away from him you know his incredible work ethic discipline uh, and and uh, you know all of those kinds of things uh, he he you know came up in a very tough kind of uh, childhood story uh, and but he made something out of himself in life and and uh, I'm incredibly fortunate that I am where I, I am today and the opportunities that I've had in life and that's a very you know easy thing for me to fall back on every time something is difficult in my life I just stop and I think back to the uh, incredibly difficult life that my grandfather had and I think does it even come close and the answer is not even close so you know i just you know shut my mouth and keep going right and so no no complaints and uh, so it's it's uh, closer to home for me in terms of people influence uh, and uh, you know uh, that's that's uh, how i think about it well we talked about a mistake right but but a little bit different spin if you could go back to the beginning or sometime in the past what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach it's at, at the end of the day entrepreneurship uh it's it's uh, about mental stamina building anything of value especially when it comes to businesses venture funded businesses where it is a um marathon and a sprint at the same time right so it's all about you know growth it's it's intense it's you know fun in its own way but uh managing your own psychology is incredibly important and one thing that i felt i didn't do as well in my first journey was uh just not burning out right and part of the reason we ultimately uh sold the company at least from my perspective uh was i was just burnt out of my skull and and i just didn't have it in me to keep going for a few more years we were about 6 years into that journey and uh you know i'd like to think uh, automatic could have been a much more valuable a business uh, you know in a, in a lot of different ways uh, but i just couldn't uh, you know keep going in and uh, because i was just burnt out 6 years in right and so one of the big things i'm doing differently now is uh, being smarter about managing my own time my own uh, psychology my own kind of uh, you know mental health and and how i approach that right and the discipline around that 
Last question, Tejo. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I would probably not even, you know, look at the product because, um, you know, smart people will build cool stuff. That's awesome, right? But if it truly was at, at, in terms of helping the entrepreneur, the most impactful um, advice that I could probably give them based on my own experience is do not connect their own sense of self-worth and, and uh, um, success or failure too deeply with that of the company, right? And, and this is a mistake I've made in the past. I've seen a lot of founders, my friends, you know, do the same thing. And uh, especially when you're a founder, maybe you go through this. No, I don't know, but maybe you've learned the right lessons along the way, but uh, you end up tying, uh, you know, the success or failure of the company and the ups and the downs, like, too deeply with your own personality and your own sense of uh, self-worth and and that's tough like part of that burnout and part of that you know the whiplash of the up and down journey uh, takes its toll and it's also not good for business right so it's not just about the personal psychology side of things it's also just not conducive to having a rational mind and making good high quality decisions which at the end of the day that's what it is in leadership roles as you're building a business right so my input would be uh, to learn to step away right and and to get better at stepping away and you know taking that third party perspective looking at the business outside in you know being much better at um, not tying the business to yourself as an individual because it also allows you to be more intellectually honest right and and it allows you to take this uh, view that other people might about your business and you will actually be a better founder a better leader and and, and uh, ultimately along that journey, I think it'll also help from a, um, you know, your own psychological health, right? And uh, that would be my input. And, uh, and I try that, it's not easy. Uh, it, it's an ongoing journey and uh, I'm on that journey uh, all the time. And uh, I hope I continue to get better at that, but uh, yeah, it's an important one as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, that's fantastic advice. Well, Thejo, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Airbase. Thank you for having me, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.